And welcome back to Fantasy Sports today. Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia and with baseball season fast approaching and fantasy baseball season fast approaching. Boy, we got some really intriguing questions, I think, to ask about the Texas Rangers and who better to do that with, with former big league player, former general manager of the Texas Rangers, and of course, the current color broadcaster on the television side for uh, the Texas Rangers, Tom Grieve, joins us here on the show and also a big fantasy football expert as well, I may add, too. Tom, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Good afternoon. Thanks for being with us. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, and by the way, how did you do this past year in, in uh, fantasy football? Did you have a good season? Were you happy with the outcome of your season? I had I had a pretty good, pretty good year. Um, I won one of the leagues, and the other league, I made a strategical blunder of picking Antonio Brown in the second round. Uh. I I figured that the big problem at the time was his helmet, and I couldn't imagine he wasn't going to play because of a helmet. Didn't see the other stuff coming at the time, though. Yeah. You know, the unfortunate part, Tom, and Joe and I have talked about this, is I actually, and you'll see the stuff, you know, coming out today and tomorrow. Hollywood, Florida, Tom, is actually where I live, and he lives about 10 minutes away from me in uh in a in a complex very close in fact my in-laws live in the same com- complex as him and so i can only tell you that it is a very sad situation there with antonio brown but let, let's move on to uh to happier times right now with the texas rangers and i think that from our position tom what we don't know and you as a former big league player and a general manager and, and knowing that the way that the rangers are doing things in 2020 is that the one question that we can't answer as analysts as fans as people who watch is what this ballpark is going to look like, what this ballpark is going to play like, and it's just a dynamic that we can't touch. We have no clue. Is there any insight at all that you have as to what this may be like? Have you seen it at all, and and can you enlighten us a little bit? Well, you know, it's funny that you would ask that question because I was talking to people involved in the construction of the ballpark just last week, and I asked that very same question, and their answer was, we're anticipating that it's going to play fairly for the pitcher and the hitter, but until the games start, we really won't know. Obviously, it'll probably be slightly different when the roof is closed. Mm-hmm. It should be fairly normal then. But when the when the when the roof is open and the wind is involved, it's very difficult to say. In our old ballpark, originally, there was kind of a jet stream that shot out to right center field. And then the stadium was reconfigured over the years. Restaurant was added, places were closed off where the wind was able to escape before. And it it changed over time. In fact, by the end, our ballpark was actually a fairly average ballpark as far as home runs go. But I don't, to answer your question, I don't really know. And actually, the people that are building the ballpark aren't sure right now. Great tests have been done. They They go to great lengths to study the wind currents and try to plan where the exits are, where the light towers are and how to create wind in the stadium for the fans comfort when the roof is up. So they've gone to great lengths to try to make it fair, but until we start playing, I don't think anyone really knows. Yeah, Tom, you know, I, I want to ask you this question because I know we've gotten to a point here where sabermetrics and, and every measurable possible has infiltrated every major league organization and every front office. But you played the game. You know this. There's also people who are actually playing these games. And the addition of Corey Kluber to this rotation now after uh, a stunningly good season from Lance Lynn and Mike Miner, who now get a guy at the top of this rotation 
that I feel like takes a lot of pressure off of those other two guys to repeat exactly what they did last year when you bring in a guy like Kluber who has ace-like potential, who has led rotations in the past. And then granted, we don't know how the ballpark's going to play, but from a mental standpoint, how important do you think this addition was to those two guys and the rest of this rotation as well? Well, both those guys at times last year pitched like number one or number two starters. In fact, I think if you look at the overall numbers for the season, you'd have to say say that both of them were fairly, you'd be fairly confident in saying they were number two starters and at times number one starter. But I think not only for for the pitching staff and releasing some of the pressure that it takes when you get an ace, I think it's true for the whole team. I think when the team knows that you've got that number one guy, it creates a feeling in the clubhouse, on the field, that on this particular day, every five days, we got a great chance to win. And so he brings a lot to the table. His injuries last year had nothing to do with his right arm. He got hit by a line drive. He, I think, pulled a ribcage muscle toward the end. So he should be healthy. Now, I don't think he has to return to being a Cy Young winner and win 22 ball games. But if he's just really good, and pitches pretty much just like Lance Lynn and Mike Miner did last year and gives 200 innings, then that's a huge boost to the rotation. But kind of the unsung additions to the rotation were Kyle Gibson and Jordan Lyles. Both of those guys are are solid bottom-of-the-rotation guys and maybe at times even better. Lyles, his last, you guys probably know better than I do, but I think his last 10 or 11 starts were really good. Gibson is a guy that's going to give you – 180, 185 innings, an ERA in the upper threes. And when you look at what we had last year, last year we had three young starters, Colby Allard, um, Brock Burke, and Joe Palumbo, all got eight or ten starts and all at times looked really good and good potential, but they probably weren't quite ready to be consistent major league pitchers. All three of those guys, at least right now, are scheduled to be in the rotation in AAA And so that's a great development thing to have. Three young left-handers with big league potential and a veteran staff from one through five that is probably better than the Rangers have had and maybe since their pennant-winning years and World Series years and maybe even better than those, those staffs, to be honest. Yeah, it does look like that. And, and, and you're right, Tom. I mean, there's no doubt, and you know this as a general manager, the biggest fallacy is looking at a five-man rotation and thinking that's who you're going with all season long. It doesn't happen. You need those guys in AAA, too, no doubt. Uh, Tom Grieve is with us, and we're talking about the Texas Rangers. Uh, offensively, uh, Tom, when you look at the team, and they, they were involved in some of the bigger names. We heard Ozuna's name out there. We heard Nick Castellanos' name out there. It certainly could still be uh, the case. Uh, the key addition offensively, is Todd Frazier to this point. Frazier looks like he's the everyday third baseman. Nomar Mazar has now moved on to the Chicago White Sox. When you look at the offense, Tom, and with your trained eye, uh, who do you think offensively is ready to take that next step? A rebound from Guzman, a better year from Odor, a healthy Gallo, Calhoun. Uh, Certainly around the diamond, there's no shortage of talent. It's just getting that all sorted out. Yeah, and I'd kind of say all of the above. One of the one of the things that they're counting on to be a better and more consistent offensive team this year is for some of the guys that they have to have better years. 
I think Elvis Andrus is capable of having a much better year than he did last year. He was on a pretty nice run of three straight years where he was hitting right around 300. His power numbers had gone up, and he may not do those same things offensively that he did those three years, but I'm pretty sure he's capable of being a lot better than he was last year, and he said that himself. Odor is kind of a mystery. He's very difficult to figure out. You guys follow the statistics, follow baseball probably more consistently than I do. And if you play fantasy baseball and you've had him on your team, he probably drives you crazy because he goes through stretches where he looks like an all-star player and then he disappears. And he's done it more than once. And he's done it for a long period of time. In other words, he's had long streaks of good performance and long streaks of poor performance. It's very difficult to gauge exactly what you're going to get. But I think if people who watched him last year would say they were disappointed in his offense last year because he struck out too much, didn't walk enough, his on-base percentage wasn't good enough. But at the end of the day, he hit 30 home runs, knocked in 90 runs. So it wasn't a total loss. He still plays solid defense. At times, he's capable of playing well above average defense. And for me, the bottom line with Rudy is always he's a great kid, and he's a hard worker, and he has a strong desire to succeed. There's no complacency. There's no living on his contract type thing. This kid's a good kid. Maybe sometimes he's out there bearing down too hard and Sometimes you, you, hear, you hear great athletes say this from time to time. Sometimes when things aren't going the way you want, you have to almost take a little bit of a step back and relax a little bit. And don't try to throw it 100 miles an hour. and Don't swing trying to hit a 500-foot home run. Just kind of step back a little bit. That's one thing that's very difficult for Ruby because he knows only one speed, and that's put, put the foot on the pedal and push it down as hard as you can. And I think that's probably one of the things that's caused him problems over over the past but anyway he's another guy they're expecting to improve I think if Todd Frazier plays third and stays healthy and hits 260 and hits 22 home runs and knocks in 79 or 80 runs that that'll be a real solid performance he's a good defensive player that'll be a big improvement over last year Um, let's see other guys Willie Calhoun um, showed some really nice signs last year he'll be a young player that they look for continued development Joey Gallo was uh, um, one of the best offensive players in baseball last year until he got hurt. They're not looking for improvement from him. They just want him to continue where he was before he got hurt last year. He was um, an all-star and really a, a star, a budding star and a breakout season if he, if he hadn't gotten hurt. Uh, Chu is a very steady player, and I think he'll be the DH, and they'll look for him um, to do things that he's done in the past. So, Uh, The other guy that you you wonder if he can back up last year with another one this year is Danny Santana. Santana was a non-roster guy, didn't break with a team in spring training, and and was our best player last year. If he could just come close to that, they'll be happy with him. I think he's going to get a chance to play center field. But really, you know, if you guys looked at what I just talked about on paper, you'd probably look and say, well, that's a good start, but It'd really be nice if there was one more guy in the middle of the lineup, especially if he was a right-hand hitter. And that's why they had talked about Rendon and Donaldson. And I don't know what their plans are right now, but just from a personal standpoint, I think Nick Castellanos would be a very nice addition to the team. They could 
they talked about if they got him, maybe playing him at first base. Ronald Guzman is there right now. Um, Ronald's a great offense, a great defensive player, but he's just got to hit more to play first base. And, you know, maybe he will, maybe he won't. He's got power, but it'd really be nice to get a veteran guy, right-hand hitter. We're a little bit left-handed right now. Castellanos at first base would look really nice right now. Okay, Tom, let's take a quick time out. We'll be back with more here. We have Tom Grieve with us on the show the color broadcaster for the Texas Rangers. We're going to dive more into what is going on in the world of baseball, the Hall of Fame, and everything else. Don't go away. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Miss, Joe Pizzapia. We have Tom Grieve with us. Tom, you know, I, I think that the hot topic around baseball right now, and certainly you see them a ton, is, of course, the Houston Astros and everything that has happened with them. And there's just so many layers to the whole situation. But, I mean, who better to speak on this than you? having seen them so often, uh, you know, throughout your tenure as a broadcaster with the Texas Rangers. And, you know, you certainly are very familiar with how the game is played inside the lines as well. Uh, as this has gone on, I don't even know if you've been asked about it so far. Has this been disappointing to you? Has it been frustrating to you? What, what have your emotions been like hearing about all of this? Well, you know, the, the first the first thing I'll say before you even get the that we see right now is this is a great team. These are frontline players. They play hard. I love their enthusiasm. The last couple of years, we've had a tough time with them, and so has everybody else in the American League. But um, when you watch the way they play, the way A.J. Hinch managed them, um, even though they're beating you, you still look down <clears throat> and you admire the talent and you appreciate the way they play the game. So even without the cheating, this is a really, really good team. Having said all that, <clears throat> I definitely don't think the Astros have distinguished themselves as a franchise over the last year or so. You know, they had the situation in the clubhouse where the reporter from Detroit couldn't come into the clubhouse because Justin Verlander didn't want him there, didn't like the things he'd written in the past. And, you know, that, that's a breach of etiquette, a breach of the way you're supposed to conduct yourself as an organization. You don't have to like every reporter that comes in, but everybody should have the same access. And Major League Baseball told them that. You know, that's that's not something that you should be proud of. Um, in addition to the cheating, I think a bigger stain might be the way that the executive treated the female reporters after they clinched against the Yankees and um, to, w to win the American League pennant when he – screamed at the at the girls how happy he was with profanity-laced sentences to have Osuna on the team. One of the girls had a bracelet that, um, that indicated her support for domestic violence, and obviously Osuna had that thing happen in Toronto, um, case of domestic violence where he was suspended. No one wanted to sign this guy. The Astros signed him, and that was their right. He served his penalty, and they had the right to sign him. But the way that he addressed these female reporters was just totally inappropriate. It, it was almost uh, it was almost violent the way he screamed at them. And then the way that the Astros the, the Astros hap, uh, handled the whole situation when they said um, it was an attempt to fabricate a story where one doesn't exist. They didn't believe her. They heard they trashed the female reporter. 
And, you know, then several days later, they look at it again and they realize what happened and they, they fired the guy. Well, you know, you, you ought to get your facts straight before you accuse a respected member of the media of lying like that. It's, it was just a, <clears throat> a terrible situation and a, and a real stain on the Astros. And that starts right at the top, right with the owner that allowed that to happen. Um, and then the guy himself, times you someone um, commits a, commits a uh, does something like that and says, um, if I offended anybody, I apologize. Well, I don't think that it's a matter of if you offended anybody. He knows he offended someone. That's not even an apology. But the thing that he said that was even more amazing was that than that was, in retrospect, I realized what I said could have been offensive. You had to have days to look back and, in retrospect, yeah. know that that was the case. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so they already had a couple of things happen that they shouldn't be proud of. And I think the thing that's, you know, I could see how the cheating thing can happen. You're trying to get an edge. You're trying to use technology. The lines get blurred. You make a decision to do this. You're having success with it. Nobody's going to find out about it. You know it's wrong, but, hey, everybody's trying to do it, do something to get an edge, and, and this happens. Um, I, I can see how that could happen. The thing that's disappointing to me is when you put a microphone in front of Alex Bregman or you put a microphone in front of Jose Altuve and you get an answer, something like, well, Major League Baseball did an investigation they made the decisions they made, and now we just have to move forward. Um, that 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 doesn't get it for me. I, I'd like to see one of the players stand up and say, I knew what we were doing was wrong. I chose to do it anyway. I realize how we're perceived around baseball, and I'm going to spend the rest of my career trying to make up for the mistake that I made, the decisions that we made as an organization to cheat. Um, I'd have a lot more respect for them if they did that, but I, I don't anticipate I don't anticipate that happening. Tom, you know, the other thing that's on everybody's uh, minds right now is Hall of Fame, obviously with uh, the induction of Derek Jeter and Larry Walker. And you were a general manager and very instrumental in bringing in Rafael Palmero into the Rangers organization. And Palmero, in my mind, I mean, you can't ask for one of the better all-around players, regardless of wherever we are with the steroid era. But in terms of a player who was a great hitter, a great defender, a guy who could hit for power, uh, a guy who played forever, uh, do you believe, number one, that he deserves a Hall of Fame vote if you had one? And I know it's a loaded question because you were the guy that acquired him. But at the same time, do you <laughs> think also that at some point in time, as we've seen some of these other guys get in, that there is certainly a lot of cloud around them, that things will soften and Palmero will get in eventually? I was drive Every time I'm driving in my car and I'm listening to people discuss that very topic, I say to myself, I don't have a good answer. I can I can talk myself into thinking one way and then say to myself, well, that's not right. It should be the other way. I hear experts that study it day in and day out, um, analysts that study it day in and day out with differing opinions, 180 degrees in the opposite direction. It's such a hard thing, hard thing to determine. Um, there's, I, I think in the last... In the last 10 years, there's probably a player, maybe a player or two, that's gotten into the Hall of Fame that used steroids. He was never mentioned. He was never caught. He never failed a drug test. 
Um, and there's guys that didn't that probably are looked at as players that probably did. It's just an ugly era with all the accusations and no way to prove anything. So it's a very, a very difficult thing for me to answer. Um, I'll say this about Rafi. Rafi never impressed me as a guy who used steroids. Generally, you would expect a guy who used steroids. I remember when Jose Canseco came in for the first time to Texas. And <laughs> right, before, you had him too, that's right. <laughs> before anyone even knew what steroids were, you heard people talk about it. The th- big thing someone said back then about steroids was, yeah, Lyle Alzado used steroids, you know, and people would go, who the hell is Lyle Alzado and what difference does it make? But anyway, Canseco, I was sitting in the dugout with Bobby Valentine and Canseco came up and we said, hey, let's watch this guy before we go back into the clubhouse. And he hit this pop-up to – it looked like it was going to be in back of second base, sky high. And the first reaction was, holy cow, how could a guy hit a ball that high? And then you kept watching, and the ball carries about 15 rows out of the ballpark in right field. And, you know, we kind of said to each other, not many guys have ever hit balls like that. Maybe there is something to these rumors. But you didn't know for sure. Um, guys, guys had uh, become much more involved in weight rooms. There were no weight rooms before. Nutrition was a part of the game. So early on, you didn't really know. But one thing that did seem apparent as time went on was that the guys that were doing it were bigger, stronger, faster, chiseled, could hit the ball farther than ever than they ever did before. But that wasn't the case with Raffy. Raffy really, as you looked at him in the clubhouse, he wasn't an, an enormous guy. He was a solidly built guy, but he wasn't a guy that looked like Canseco or Sosa or McGuire, these chiseled um, athletes that, that looked like they um, that they were manufactured almost. He didn't look like that. And the balls that he hit didn't go that far. I, I would feel very confident in saying if you take every player that hit more than 400 home runs and then figured out the average distance of the home run that he hit, that Raffi would be near the bottom, if not the last guy. His home runs went two or three rows back. He had a he had a perfect swing taught to him by his father. He learned to elevate the ball. He's kind of like Roger Maris. He had the kind of swing that met the ball at the right point, hit the ball on the good part of the bat with the right trajectory, launch angle, if you will. And he hit the ball in the right field in the lower part of the ballpark. He didn't hit balls in the upper deck. He didn't hit long opposite field home runs. So it never really occurred to me that this was a guy that used steroids. Um, he just looked like a guy that could hit. Guys hit 500 home runs before steroids, so it's not out of the question that someone could do that. So to answer your question, I was surprised. Um, he never he never looked to me to be the kind of guy that would use steroids. I was surprised when all of that happened. But I wish I could give you a strong opinion one way or the other, but I waffle on that and find myself going in one direction. I think if I knew for a fact that a guy used steroids, I would lean against I would I would lean against it. It just seems like some guys have slipped through the cracks that may have done it and went to the Hall of Fame and who knows who did and who didn't. Um I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but I think <laughs> I think when I hear analysts say, let's just take the era, the ten or fifteen years and put the guys in the, Hall of, in the Hall of Fame who are at the top of their game, the top of the lists of statistics at that time, and say that they were the best during that era, 
they should go to the Hall of Fame. And then you then you say, well, what about the guys that came up just a little bit short that hit 450 home runs and didn't use steroids? How why should they get penalized? Why should the group of guys go into the Hall of Fame that did, and then the guys that didn't, whose stats might have equaled or surpassed them if they did, don't get to go in? It's just a hot topic, and I think I'm gonna. Uh, just kind of shut up right now and go on to the next <laughs> I think it's great. No, I think it's great, Craig. Could, what do you think? We could do two hours, Tom, with you, but but we're short on time. So here's the final question. Uh, okay. Tom Grieve is with us, uh, former big leaguer, general manager with the Texas Rangers, and, of course, uh, their broadcaster on uh, on television. Uh, I'll end with this, Tom. Uh, the CEO of the Marlins, who, have, uh, who I cover here in South Florida, Derek Jeter, uh, is in the Hall of Fame. Larry Walker's in the Hall of Fame. Should we be bothered... And should we be bothered by an individual that did not vote for Derek Jeter? Because that seems to have taken on a life of its own. Also, uh, in the era that you played, Tom, you're very familiar with a lot of these guys who played at Jeter's level or even above it, who did not get 100% also. But how is it possible that one lone wolf here did not vote for Derek Jeter? And should we be throwing our arms up over this? Are you throwing your arms up over this? No, I'm not throwing my arms up. The guy's got the right to make his decision, but you know, it just doesn't make much sense. Guy played for 20 years and anyone that knows anything about baseball knows that you could take a hundred people and dig dirt for a week and a half and never come up with anything wrong about Derek Jeter. This guy is the epitome of what a baseball player should look like, what he should act like and the way a Hall of Famer should perform. So I don't know how one guy did it. My wife and I were talking about that last night at dinner, and I said the only thing I can think of is that the guy has some relationship to the Yankees or looked at the Yankees and said, you know what, Mariano Rivera went in last year unanimously. Derek Jeter deserves to go in but I think Mariano Rivera is even a stronger candidate than Derek Jeter. And I have to distinguish between the two. And the way I'm going to do it is I'll vote for Mar- I voted for Mariano Rivera and he went in unanimously. I'm going to withhold my vote for a year on Derek Jeter to distinguish between the two. That's the only thing I can come up with um, as to why the guy didn't do it. But I guess nowadays you have to be public with your vote, don't you? Not on this or one, no, no, not on this no? one. Okay. No, no, you have so you, you, there's all... a little, yeah, there's a little box, Tom, that you you click, that you check if you want it public, and if not, the guy, oh. whoever the guy or woman, is under no obligation to release it. And uh, by the way, your your explanation is a lot plausible than mine. I mean, mine is just the guy sent in a blank ballot. You know, that that's, that's the only thing that I can think of. I can't think of anything well, that, else. That probably makes more sense. Uh, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that, but I would guess that this guy is never going to come forward, or if he does, he's never going to go to New York again. No, no, he would not be allowed. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for giving us uh, so much of your time today. We really appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to catching you on the television broadcast of the Texas Rangers. Uh, fantastic video you did, by the way, parting ways with uh, the old ballpark and all the memories that were there. We're looking forward to seeing you with some memories of the new one. Thanks again to you and my best to your family. Appreciate you coming up. Okay. You're welcome, Craig and Joe. Thanks. Thanks for having me anytime. All right. Tom Tom. Grieve with us and we'll be back with more here on fantasy sports today. Don't go away.